the Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, Tamara Cherry is here with Pickup Communications, also the author of The Trauma Beat. Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association, and international trade lawyer Mark Warner is here. Let's actually start with housing because it kind of sets us up for our conversation with Olivia Chow. She'll be live in studio at 8.05. Tim Hudak, you're the real estate guy. So is it a significant announcement that they're going to build a few thousand units with $1.2 billion of federal money? Well, I think it's an important step forward. We're in a housing affordability crisis, John, and that goes from owning a home, you know, right through rental uh, to housing that helps those who are on the margins. And more rental spaces will mean that less pressure on prices and help those trying to get into a good place to call home. We have at ARIA supported uh, the approach the federal government has taken. We've said, you know what, you should use carrots and sticks with municipalities. And if municipalities are actually opening their doors to, to more homes or looking to uh, intensify along rail or put more homes on particular properties, they should be rewarded. So I think this is an important step forward for the federal government. In contrast, John, the federal approach is uh, to help with low interest loans for builders to get homes built that will be affordable. They they pay them back over time to help get over the hump of higher costs caused by higher interest rates. The mayor's program looks to be that the city is going to build. The city is going to run and finance those homes. I'm concerned we've not had a very good history when it comes to city-run buildings, especially the private sector to build them, the city to support, not going to competition. Well, Mark Warner, I think it's important to emphasize what Tim was just saying. Of course, this is not federal spending. It's a program where they're just going to offer low-interest loans in order to encourage people to build rental units. So I suppose there's not that much penalty involved. Um, well, I don't agree with the premise. <laughs> okay. No, it is federal government spending, John. It is. It's. Uh, let's see if the money gets repaid. But no, when money is, goes out from from a bank account or from someone, it's spent. And maybe it will be repaid. It's always characterized as fully repaid. You know, my job in the Ontario government was negotiating a lot of loans and grants uh, that never got repaid. <laughs> so, so let's uh, let's be clear that it is spending and. Um, you know, the issue here, I suppose, is one of these things where, we're, again, being pointy-headed about it, John, first thing in the morning. But there is a question here. It's a legitimate question about the country we live in, which is that we have a federation. We have we have a constitution of 1867 that sets out the responsibility of the federal government and of the provinces. And I know since the charter came in in the 80s, people have thought the charter is very sexy and no one wants to talk about division of powers. Now, when it comes to the province of Quebec, the federal government sits down and negotiates directly with the re- with the relevant power, which is the provincial power. When it comes to everywhere else in the country, the federal government seems to say they can go over the heads of the provinces and negotiate directly with the cities, who are, after all, municipalities are, after all, um, creatures of the province. So I do think there's some real constitutional issues here with this. Um, you know, when the question is, if the federal government wants to get into housing, then I think they need to sit down with the provinces and negotiate with the provinces, and the provinces can figure out where they want to spend money. So that's my pointy-headed comment for the morning, I think. Uh, but there it is. Okay. Well, I also think you're the first person to ever to describe the charter as sexy. Uh, but <laughs> last word on this file to Mara Cherry. Uh, that's just, it, that's a really interesting take and one that I hadn't really considered before. Um, what I was thinking about when I was reading this was that, you know, from it was my understanding that the federal government wasn't really taking part in these talks to the extent that the province was with municipal, if municipal, I'm interested to see what 
the uh, the province comes back with in terms of what they're going to offer, whether a repayable loan or a non-repayable loan. Meanwhile, uh, let's jump to something a little bit on the uh, more trivial side, but heritage recognition for one of Toronto's oldest strip clubs, to which no one, Mark Warner, will ever acknowledge they have actually visited. But this is the brass rail on Young Street. Does heritage recognition make sense for the joint? I've never seen it. I'm not even sure where this place is. <laughs> I hear a lot of basketball people go there, though. That, that's one of the reasons that they like coming to play basketball in Canada and put up with all the customs and immigration hassles is so they can get to the brass rail, I'm told. But, um, you know, I don't know. It, it's not a particularly I, the interesting building, I don't think. Um, you know, that, that I suppose that some nod to Sin City is an interesting notion. Of course, you know, some of us of a certain age living in Toronto remember when the darker sides of Sin City. So I'm not sure. I, I, I'm sure that if you start getting going down that road of recognizing aspects of Sin City, that pretty soon there'll be a debate about whether we should do that. Of course, I'm thinking of the Shine Boy and all that sort of thing, famous story. Um yeah, I also am personally very tired of these um, skeleton uh, maintenance things where you, you know, keep the facade of, you know, really uninteresting buildings and and then build a tower behind it. So I, the first couple of times we did it, it was kind of interesting. Now I think it's actually kind of boring. So let yeah. it go. Okay. Well, Tamara Cherry, I mean, I'm looking at a still image of the brass rail and it doesn't look like an historic building, but I guess maybe they think culturally it's significant. I think that this is this is interesting for me to put it in the context of the debates we've been having around Dundas Street and whatnot, because for me, any strip club has a very negative connotation. As I think you're aware, John, I've done a lot of work in my journalism career um, around human trafficking. And when it comes to strip clubs, they are typically a haven of sex trafficking victims. Um, they're a place where victims are recruited. They're a place where victims are enslaved. I'm not saying that that was necessarily done at the brass rail, but I'm saying it's not uh, the sort of establishment that I would want to celebrate. That said, I don't think that a heritage designation is necessarily celebrating what happened there. There's also a homicide that happened outside there where there was an innocent bystander who was hit by a bullet um, several years ago, which I covered. Um, but it, it is interesting to put this in that context when you hear the uproar of, you know, people wanting to get rid of the Dundas Street designation. But then there's people who want to preserve a place where very bad stuff has happened, most likely. Well, and, Tim, and, and, like, yeah. and Tim Hudak, I don't think it's prudish to question what, you know, what kind of heritage are we talking about here? Yeah, look, whatever the debate on on the issues around preserving some aspect of, of Sin City, John, we're in a housing affordability crisis, right? We need to build 1.5 million more homes in the province of Ontario. We underbuilt for over two decades. And one thing we pointed out when I had the honor of serving on the province's housing affordability task force is that heritage designations are being abused. The bar is far too low. And we need to look everywhere and anywhere we can to convert other buildings into into residential. This comes nowhere near passing that bar. Let me stick with you for a second because you were victimized not once but twice in this next category and that is car theft numbers have come out and we actually hit a record in Toronto in 2022 and you had two cars stolen. 
Yeah, I, I contributed sadly to this <laughs> this list uh, with a bullet le- or the Alexis uh, RX number two on the list, and two of those babies are ours. Uh, sadly, it, and it's 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 terrifying. You feel violated. I mean, it is insurance covers uh, to an extent, but it does impact your your rates. And I don't know. Um, it just seems like every week we're talking to somebody else in our neighborhood in our circle of friends who have had a car stolen and people now breaking into homes, knowing where the keys are and then stealing the vehicle that way, armed. It, it is absolutely terrifying. And I'm very concerned, John, that this article talks about how Canada has become uh, sort of the number one destination for international car thieves, how it fuels organized crimes. The risk of persecution, they say, is low, and we've got a lot of targets. So so what is actually being done at a national and law enforcement level? I'm glad they caught the 100,000 cars they did the other week. But if they can't disrupt this and turn this around, we've got to take an awfully hard look at our criminal justice system and really seize up the ports of these cars are being snuck out of the country. And as you would have noted in the coverage we sent out this morning before the roundtable, Tamara Cherry, $1.2 billion paid out by Ontario insurance companies for stolen cars. I mean, that has got to have an impact on everybody's premium. OMG. Yeah, absolutely. And as Pat Foran was reporting, it it will definitely have an impact on your premium if you're driving one of the most um, stolen vehicles there are. One thing I would like to point out to all my friends in Toronto there who made fun of my husband and I for buying a minivan three weeks before our first (laughs) of three children was born. Guess what is not on that list? The Toyota Sienna. Our 2014 Toyota Sienna remains ours to this day. Okay. Mark Warner, your thoughts? I don't think you don't own a car, do you? I, I don't actually. Um, I was always afraid, too afraid that they would get stolen. So I just decided not to drive. But uh, no, um, you know, what's interesting about this, there's an article in one of the papers a couple months ago, I think, um, about so many of these cars end up in Africa. And they were really talking about, um, you know, the, the, the gangs and, and how these things get shipped through the ports. And, and one of the things that one of the comments in it came from the, uh, the one of the police officers or whatever, and I think it was Ghana saying that they hear all the time from the FBI and they've worked with the FBI to sort of stop some of these processes. And, and he made a very pointed comment that, that he really never heard anything from the Canadian authorities, which I thought at the time was, was interesting. I don't know if that's still true, but it is, it is odd to me that uh, given that we know where they're going and, and it's gang activity, it's, it's odd to me that, that, uh, that the, the countries on those receiving African countries haven't seemed to have heard from the Canadian authorities yet. A Canadian hockey player playing in the UK has been accused of manslaughter in an incident where his skate crossed the neck of another hockey player, ultimately killing him. And actually, Mark, maybe I'll start with you. I realize criminal law is not necessarily your speciality, but this seems, you know, like overreach unless they know something we haven't been told. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched the video, John. I think it, I think it's been available on on various places. I haven't looked at it. What this reminds me of, you know, when I was in law school, there was a case which used to be it was still there, I guess, in the Canadian case books in criminal law called R versus Smithers or Dinah versus Smithers, and it was always put up about a, a hockey player that got in a fight in the hockey game, and one of them died after the hockey game, and uh, you know, whatever, whatever. And it stands for this principle of negligence and. When I read the case in the in the in the in, you know, in the you know in our in our casebook and we discussed it in class, I immediately ran downstairs, pulled it off the shelves, and I said, "This sounds way too familiar to me." And it was, as I suspected, a case where it was a black hockey player who um, had laid the punch on the person who was calling him a name in the game, 
and uh, the person who called him the name of the game died. Anyway, I don't know the full facts here, but it is interesting that uh, that this 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 uh, hockey player. It's not in the reporting of it, which disturbs me. It's a little bit like R.B. Smithers. It is a black hockey player, from what I understand. Um, and there were some people from you know hockey player people like uh, Chris Avery, I guess, is a notorious hockey player who immediately came out with some statements that it was uh, murder and. Uh, uh, with Chris Avery, it's always some racism in there too. So, um, I just note that we'll watch the story. That's why I'm watching it. Not so much because of my interest in criminal law, but because of my interest in R versus Smithers. And Tamara, you'll get the last word. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time on the clock, but I have watched the video. I wish I hadn't seen it, but I did watch it because mm-hmm. I thought I had to. And I don't see what the prosecutors might have seen. I don't know. I'm not an expert in criminal law in the UK, so I don't know what the threshold is for their charge of manslaughter. But I mean, bottom line, without getting into speculation here, this is such an awful event. And my heart just it goes out to the family of uh, the man who lost his life and to to everybody who was on the ice that day. It's just awful. My thanks to you all. Good to have you. Tim Hudak, Mark Warner, Tamara Cherry. Catch the roundtable round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.